Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, I've already had a morning. I want to say hello to everyone and thank you for being here. The YouTube chat is already up and it's jumping. All right, I got to get into something here real quick. I know people don't really care about baseball or do they? You know, one of the things that I always hear, baseball's dying. Baseball's dying. Nobody pays attention to baseball, right? But I got to tell you, I'm here to straighten you out. Baseball is thriving, at least when it comes to salaries. My God. I mean, look, we all understand that basketball is totally out of its mind. Football is trying to be like basketball. Uh, my friend Pat McAfee always tweets out, like, first day of the ML, or, uh, NBA free agency, like, hey, NFL union, get like the NBA union. But look at these numbers that we're talking about. Aaron Judge, nine years, $360 million. The reason I'm bringing this up is yesterday, Carlos Correa. Look at this number, 13 years, $335 million. Kodai Senga, who has not pitched a game in the big leagues, five years, $75 million. I don't know who Brandon Nemo is. But he must be pretty damn good. Eight years, 162 million. Is there anybody that goes to a game and says, I'm wearing my Nemo t-shirt? Carlos Correa's at least won championships and is great. Aaron Judge puts everybody in the seats. Anybody go just to see Xander Bogarts? Anybody go, hey, look, I can't wait to get my Bogarts jersey. A hundred of them. Order them. 11 years, $280 million. So I want you to think about that next time Slappy Johnny tells you, well, you know, you know, baseball's dying. Baseball, it is a dead, dying breed. I'll tell you what should be dying, my Colts for playing Jeff Sat or for coaching with Jeff Saturday and putting Matt Ryan at the helm for this coming weekend. But that's a different story for a different time. But, jeez, can you imagine Baseball's dead. Really? Don't think so. Uh, I'll tell you what I like. I got to give you a few things that I like. I like this a lot. I do. I think this is great. Mississippi State announced that they will play in the Reality Quest Bowl game versus Illinois following the passing of Mike Leach. I, I got to tell you, we always say this, right? The coach would have wanted you to. You know, he would have wanted you to, my dad would have wanted you to, my uncle, my whatever, they would have wanted you to. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of fallacies in sports, but this ain't one of them. Look, coaches want athletes to play. Athletes want their friends to play. Now, when there's a tragedy like what happened in Virginia, it's, a, it, it's just different. It is. It's just different. But you know, the shooting, the murder, you got to, I mean, it's, but when a coach passes away of a heart ailment, the coach would have wanted the team to play. So I'm all in on it. But this also begs another question, and this isn't exactly <laughs> on our rundown. 
Are we ever going to ask, are we ever going to ask why, why people are dying in such weird circumstances? Like, I don't know if you saw this, but Grant Wall, who is a seemingly very healthy man. I mean, Grant Wall, very healthy. Uh, He died, and now at 48 years old, he collapsed in his seat. His body was autopsied, and they said it was an aneurysm. Now, look, I understand people die of aneurysms all the time. A friend of mine lifted up to get his alarm, and he dropped straight back dead right in his bed next to his wife. So I get that this is something, but are we ever going to, are we ever going to say, wait a second here, a lot of young men, even men like Mike Leach, all of a sudden are dying from episodes. I put it out today on Twitter and just got absolutely raked over the coals. I mean, I got crushed, right? Oh, you're an idiot. Some doctor said you're a clown. I said, look, if I'm a clown, straighten me out. I'm not saying that it is, but there's a lot of vaccinated people dying young or in odd circumstances. And since the media, particularly the sports media here in Indianapolis, we had an idiot named Greg Doyle shame our quarterback, Carson Wentz. I'll run him out of town. He's unvaxxed. He's this. He needs to get vaxxed. Blah, blah, blah. These guys didn't know anything. They didn't know anything. None of these guys knew. But there's a lot of vaccinated and uh, uh, people that are dying, are we ever going to hear about it? I'm not saying that it's the cause. I'm just asking a question. So Mike Leach passes away all of a sudden at 61. My guess is anybody bringing this up will be subject to media nonsense. Well, that's fine. But my guess is also there's something here. But we're not allowed to say it. Some doctor, a guy named Ryan Boente, husband, father, pulmonary and care, care, uh, critical care physician at Indiana University. Um, his response was, I'm a clown. And that's fine if I'm a clown. I got no problem being a clown. But tell me why. I mean, tell me why, please. And I'll listen. But here Mike Leach, he dies. Now we hear about Grant Wall, he dies. We're hearing about an 11-year-old who had a heart attack. I think it was Rod Stewart or Neil Young's son has a heart attack. We're hearing about all these cases, and these are just the high-profile ones. Look, I'm not saying the vaccine bad. I'm not saying the vaccine good. What I'm saying is at least it's worth a look, and if it turns out, well, then we got a problem. In terms of efficiency, we're going we're gonna, to boom. See what I did here? Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and if we're smart, the next president of the United States, announced yesterday that he intends to initiate an investigation into issues with the COVID vaccine and create a committee to counteract the nonsense coming out of the CDC. Let's hear from Florida's governor. Florida, you know, it is against the law to mislead and to misrepresent, particularly when you're talking about the efficacy of a drug. Uh, we see just the other, uh, just recently, Florida got $3.2 billion through legal action against those responsible for the opioid crisis. And so it's not like this is something that's unprecedented. So today uh, I'm announcing a, a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. And we anticipate that we will get the approval for that. Uh, That will be something that will be impaneled, most likely in the Tampa Bay area. uh, And that will come 
with legal processes that will be able uh, to get more information and to bring legal accountability for those who committed misconduct. I like to play the long game here. Like, I call it looking beyond my nose. I like to look beyond my nose. I actually call it looking beyond something else, but we can't monetize it if I say what I look beyond. Uh, On the YouTube chat, you can figure it out. But the truth of the matter is looking beyond your nose should, I don't know, media that spread propaganda, should they be investigated? Should writers that shamed people be investigated? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. But I got to tell you, I do. I got to tell you, it is interesting because if I, I, I got vaccinated, I got vaccinated because, frankly, I had to work. I didn't have to work, but I chose to work. So I got vaccinated. I worry now because all of a sudden I am a workout fiend. I am. I'm on this stuff called Affinity Whole Health. I'm going to talk about it. They'll probably advertise with us. Um, and it's just made me so much stronger and better, and I'm working out more. But I do worry, like, hey, I got vaccinated. I got the two shots. I'm not getting boosted and all that crazy stuff. But it does make me wonder, were we lied to? Now, I also have a friend who was in ICU, and that friend in ICU said this. He goes, look, the doctor told me getting vaccinated saved his life. So I'm not anti-vax. I'm not anti-anything. be honest with you, I'm not. I mean, if you're not 1,000% in, then you're subject to media BS or you're subject to liberal BS. That's fine, but the truth of the matter is I am all in on common sense. I'm all in on common sense. And if you're all in on common sense, then let's discuss. See, common sense to me is simply this. Common sense is if, 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 and I think there is data to show that this vaccine was wrongly promoted, then you got to go after the people that promoted it. I, I could be wrong. I, I, you know, you guys can tell me. I'm not saying I'm right 100%, but I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wait a second here. You ain't wrong for at least looking into it. I think you should. Now, here's what people are going to say. People are going to say, well, you know, that's on Trump, and you know that's what's going to happen. Operation Warp Speed caused this. You know that's going to happen, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But an investigation, nonetheless, needs to happen. It just does. All right, a lot of us follow the quarterback situation across the league. A lot of us, particularly in Indianapolis, have watched an incompetent general manager and an incompetent administration pay $148 million since 2018 for six different quarterbacks. And still the Colts don't make the playoffs. And still they're running out this guy at $37 million, Matt Ryan. But they're not the only ones. The quarterback situation across the league is getting a little bit interesting, and it's really getting interesting in Green Bay. Did you know this? Did you know that Aaron Rodgers has three years, $150 million on a contract? Did you know that they drafted Jordan Love in the first round a couple years ago and that Jordan Love is now 24? Jordan Love is sitting there going, wait a second, I'm watching guys younger than me play better than me, and I'm stuck here in in Green Bay behind a guy that has three years at $50 million a year. $50 million average. I want you to think about that. So I'm sitting here like J.P. Golf. I'm sitting here like, hey, wait a second. I, ladies and gentlemen, I 
want to get the hell out of here. I want to go. I'm out. I'm gone. And I don't blame him. The dude is 24. He was drafted in the 2020 draft. He was supposed to be the quarterback. Uh, Rodgers complained, whined. Next thing you know, three more years. I'm not sitting going to be 27 by the time I get my career going. Why would I want to do that? He sat behind Rodgers, so he's looking for a trade. There are a ton of media reports saying that he's looking for a trade. I don't blame him one second. Do you? 24-inch uh, dubs, Alec Cashman, BS, Ed B, Greg, Jason Larry, Jennifer, John M, JP Golf, Kirk Cuts, Mike Hawk, MJH Irish 84, Outkick, PC 70 or 7408, Ron Richardson, Ryan Mueller, Scotty Tuati, the president, Sean Black, Sean Record, Spice Rack, The Blur, Van Pasterman, Vic Barks. Welcome, welcome, welcome on the show. They're the participants right now. We're going to get to over five, 600 people on the YouTube chat, get about 50,000 here. And I cannot thank you enough, all my indie folks, for coming on over. And we are going to continue with the great content that we have always given you. And, ladies and gentlemen, the YouTube chat be a pumping. It just is. And I'll be reading questions from there like we always have. Uh, Dan Rogers sat for years, too. Sit down, kid. Hold the clipboard and learn something. No, he's done that. How many years? See, athletes want to play. Athletes want to play, Kitty Brown. Kitty Brown, athletes have sat. He sat. He learned. And then all of a sudden, your team stinks. Rogers a pain. You owe him $50 million a year, and I'm sitting behind this. Jennifer, I know what I did there, but I said it quick. I see you, Jennifer. All right, shall we continue? I literally, I'm sick as a dog. I'm a gamer, though. Sick as a dog. Went to bed last night. I can show you on my sleep number. Went to bed last night at 6 o'clock. Turned off all the devices. My wife's trying to get me. Everybody's trying to get me. I got to tell you. Uh Uh-uh. I went to bed. If I look at my sleep number, it'll tell you. All right? So, but I went to bed. After, ladies and gentlemen, watching every second of Croatia against Argentina. And I got to tell you, for a while, I thought, well, this is the cure to insomnia. I had gone to work out. I had come home. I went to the store. I got Jared uh, and I some dip, some chips, some lunch meat. I made a spread. I sat down. I started watching. I got bored. I kept watching. I didn't get bored anymore. I started liking it. I'm not going to lie to you. I started liking it, and I can't wait for today when France takes on the upstart Morocco. I don't know why I started liking it. I sent a text out to my friend Bart Fox, uh, Scott Johnson, and Mike Tirico. We all work together, and we have this text chain going. I said, look, at this point, soccer is the cure to insomnia. And then I kept watching. And then I started watching more. And then I went time out. This ain't bad, ladies and gentlemen. So I don't know if you know who this guy Messi is. He's only the highest paid soccer player ever. He's a legend. All right. I got to tell you, I liked watching him. He accounted whether he scored it on a penalty kick or whatever you call it, free kick. I don't know. Or he assisted it. He plays well in tight spaces. That's what I learned. That's right. He plays well in tight spaces. And if you don't know what that means, go watch Messi. Look, I 
have not, and I cannot unless my man Alan Cashman tells me who to bet on. I bet Argentina yesterday, didn't win any money because I didn't feel like betting a ton, but I also put them in a parlay. Look, I don't know about you, but I have always, always, always loved morning and afternoon sports. And I also, I got to tell you, I loved it. I loved it. I love sitting on my you-know-what. I love watching. I loved it, and I'm going to do it again today. If I feel good enough, I'm going to work out, but I don't think I do, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to watch Europe, or not Europe. What am I talking about? (laughs) I'm going to watch France and Mbappe play against Morocco. I've been to Morocco. I've been to the Casbah in Morocco. I was like 12. My parents said, you got to walk down the middle because somebody might steal you. That's right. I've been to the Cosma. I know what it's all about. How is Morocco better than the United States? I don't have an answer for that, but I want one. I want an answer, and I want one right now. So I'll wait on the YouTube chat. Uh, Dan, bad beat last night with UMass Lowell. I did take your advice on UMass Lowell. I went to sleep, woke up, and UMass Lowell had lost, and I ain't mad about it. All right, let me get to something. The one thing about Donald Trump, and I said this on my morning or afternoon show for years, the one thing about Donald Trump is he showed the clear lines, conservative, liberal. No longer can anybody that is on the liberal side of things say that we, we, ladies and gentlemen, are the party of inclusivity. We are the party that brings people together. You can't say that anymore, and I'll give you the latest example. Ben Carson. Ben Carson's name was removed from a high school in Detroit. Now, I'm going to tell you, he's a neurosurgeon, housing and urban development secretary. He's from Detroit. And they decided that, you know what? The Benjamin Carson High School of Science and Medicine will be changed. And that is despite an administrative recommendation not to change it and a student poll not to change it. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Here's what Carson had to say, and I really liked what he had to say. It's very sad that we reached a point where political ideology trumps the whole purpose of an educational institution. And Carson said, we're seeing this wokeness spread it throughout the, our community to the destruction of our community. How does it do any good for us to demonize people with whom we disagree and to teach that to our children at a time when the math scores are down, the reading scores are down, and academic performance is down? Now, let me ask you this. He went on, Carson did, to talk about the systematic failures of students at many public high schools, saying some kids graduate despite being functionally illiterate. And this is true. This is very true. I mean, when you coach, you go into high schools. And this isn't new. Uh, No Child Left Behind was a Republican deal that every single administrator will tell you was the worst thing ever for public schools. Yes, it sounds good. And George W. Bush was stupid enough to pander, and No Child Left Behind meant that high schools had to pay more attention to people that didn't want to be there than worry about academic excellence. 
It's really interesting. And that's a Republican deal. And it was so freaking stupid. So stupid. Uh, Carson also said uh, schools themselves appear more concerned with pushing the kind of woke ideology that led to Detroit's decision. We want to change this whole narrative and we need an inoculation to indoctrination. And that's why we've created a program. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, the level of stupid in our country continues. And it makes me nuts. I'll tell you what makes me nuts. What makes me insane is when we worry more about drag shows at schools, when we worry about woke ideology at schools, when teachers don't teach, and maybe they're not allowed to teach at schools. I have a daughter that's a teacher. She's brilliant. She loves it. She's at a school that allows you to teach. She's at a school that encourages you to teach. Doesn't encourage, and she would never do it, uh, a woke ideology. Doesn't encourage anything stupid. It, teach, it, it encourages school, the, her school encourages you to talk about, guess what? Reading, writing, and arithmeticing. Oh, my God, what a shock. Holy cow, what a shock. I cannot believe it. Dan, did you know this? In Baltimore, the city school district have an average GPA of 0.14. I did not know that, but I got to tell you. I got to tell you. I'm not, you could tell me anything relative to schools, and I would say, yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I, you're right. It's amazing how we, again, I say this every freaking week. I feel like I'm a broken record, but I'm not going to stop. It is amazing how we decide that we are not going to, even a little bit, protect our children, make them smarter, make them more disciplined. We don't like it. We don't like it. We don't want to do it. And we ain't going to do it. I got What the Hell Wednesday coming up. But before we get to that, I got to talk about a couple of things. Number one on the hit parade is if you're an NFL fan, and you're a Colts fan, for example, and I can give you other, I can give you other teams. At what point do you lose interest on the season? A friend of mine asked me that the other day. They said, you know, now that you're not on from noon to three, will you lose interest in the season? And you know what my answer was? Yeah. Yeah, and if you take gambling out, if you take gambling out, how quickly would you lose interest? Like, I got to ask you, everybody in the AFC East is in the playoff hunt, whether it's the Jets and New England at 7-6 and six, or Buffalo at 10-3 and three, or Miami in between. You're in the playoff hunt. If you're in Pittsburgh or Cleveland, you're not. Do you lose interest in the season or is the NFL that big? Indianapolis has been passed by Jacksonville. Jacksonville is five and eight. Indianapolis is four, eight, and one. I've lost interest. Have you lost interest? See, people always say the NFL is recession proof. The NFL always keeps its viewers. And while I agree with that, I personally, for the first time in 14 years, don't have to watch 
the Colts. Don't have to say, well, I'm going to talk about the Colts, so I am going to watch. So if you are a fan of Denver, your team's out of the playoff. It's been a catastrophe. Are you done? Are you done? Vegas, 5-8, and eight, behind two teams in your division. The Giants in the NFC East, everybody is in play. Everybody. The Bears aren't. You can't tell me that any of you sit around and go, hey, I want my team to tank. I'm going to root for them to lose. You can't do that. There's no way you can do that. New Orleans, 4-9. and nine. Rams, 4-9. and nine. Maybe there's interest in something. Maybe there's interest in Baker Mayfield if you're the Rams, but you tell me. Arizona, 4-9. and nine. You interested in Colt McCoy? You're going to sell out Colt McCoy? You're going to sell out Arizona? You're going to sell out Indianapolis? You're going to sell out the Rams? You're going to sell out Chicago? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It is interesting. Dan, Van Pasterman says, I live in Steeler country. They will still watch. I agree with that. That's historical. Some of the teams that I mentioned, I don't know. Is New Orleans a historical franchise? I don't know. This weekend, Calvin Fitch said something interesting. Indiana is going to play on Saturday at Kansas. The Colts are going to play on Saturday at the Vikings, which will rate better in the state of Indiana. I don't know the answer to that. See, I would say it's always the Colts. I would say the Pro Bowl. Remember the Pro Bowl? People used to say, nobody watches the Pro Bowl. You know what the Pro Bowl's ratings were? A 10. Do you know what the number one college basketball game, Duke, North Carolina's ratings were? Three and a half, four. That's it. That is it. I want you to think about that for just a second. You know, people say, I'm not watching. I'm not watching. I don't care. Sean Black, El Presidente, says, uh, Browns fans are crazy. They had a parade after going 0-16. I remember that. John M. makes an interesting point. He says, Bears fan. Bears fan. Uh, Justin Fields is worth watching. I can't tell you he's wrong. Justin Fields is worth watching. So let me bounce it over to our team, the Colts. Is there anybody on the Colts worth watching? Is there anybody on the Rams worth watching other than, I guess, you want to see if Baker Mayfield plays? This is an interesting time for the NFL. If you are really, really smart and you are an NFL team, you tank. I'm sorry, you tank. There's some quarterbacks coming out. You tank. If you're the coach, you tank. I don't think they will, and I don't know that playing Matt Ryan is a tank or not a tank, but you tank. You tell me. Why wouldn't you tank? I've never been a tank guy. Indiana has never been a tank guy. But the truth of the matter is, you got to think about it. You should think about it. I don't want to think about it, but it's right there for you. It is. I look at the NFL and I say this. This is the challenge. Everybody after a summer of baseball, whatever, of nothing, then NFL starts, everybody's jazzed. College football, everybody's jazzed. Now, you got teams that are out of it. Are you going to watch? Other than the big games. 
Of course we're going to watch Kansas City. We all want to see Kansas City. Are you watching the Colts? Like, I don't know. I probably would. Just because I live here. I was a season ticket holder. But are you really watching the Colts? I don't know, man. I don't know. Term Limit says, hey, this, Dan, uh, this is an interactive show. You hit me on Twitter. You hit me on, on the YouTube. We're going to talk about you. Guy says, Term Limit says, yeah, Dan, why would a poor black kid raised in Detroit that became a brain surgeon and a candidate, I'll add to you, Term Limits, and, and a presidential candidate that for one of the few dudes on that, or women on that stage comported himself with dignity, why would he be looked at as a role model? Obviously, he's being facetious here, term limits, but you ain't wrong. You ain't wrong even a little bit. I mean, what do you want, a rapper to be your role model? Jalen Rose to be your role model? Maybe Jalen should be. He's fine as a role model in Detroit. But the truth of the matter is, you're telling me Ben Carson isn't a role model? I'm telling you, you're full of crap. I'm telling you, Detroit, you keep making dumb decisions. I'm telling you, woke people, kiss my backside. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, uh, the owner of the Colts, Jimmy Ursay, gets a bad rap. He does. He gets a bad rap. Jimmy Ursay's a fun guy. Yeah, he got arrested, but hey, well, I'm, I was going to say, raise your hand if you've never been arrested. Well, I've never been arrested, so I, I, that kind of defeats the purpose. But Jimmy Ursay is a lover of the rock and roll. He is a lover of all things. So I got to tell you, when Jimmy Ursay plays, I like hearing it. So here's a little Jimmy Ursay for you. playing the wall, little Pink Floyd. Now, you got to understand something about Jimmy Ursay. Like, I'm not calling him Mr. Ursay. Uh, the funniest thing in football is owners call people Mr. Ursay, Mr. Polian. Yeah, kiss my ass. Or backside, excuse me. Get that out. Get that out. We want to monetize. Uh, but Jimmy Ursay has an unbelievable music collection. Jimmy Ursay has guitars from every famous person, and he's a lover of music, and he has a band. And I'm not going to lie. If Jimmy Ursay were I, well, were I to be Jimmy Ursay, I got to tell you, I'd have a band. I'd be like my friend Dale Speckman. He got to be about, I don't know, 50-something. 
He liked playing. He's a good singer. Started a band. And you know what they did? They started playing all kinds of different places. It's pretty good. Wouldn't you do it? I have become comfortably numb. Okay, okay, okay. It's just another pinprick. Not if you can hear me. I would do it so fast uh, my head would spin. I would. I would. It's great. It's freaking awesome. He's rocking out. It's Pink Floyd. Look at him. He's the man. Good for you, Jimmy Ursay. But you got to, you got to, you have to, you got to get somebody, somebody in here to play quarterback. And you got to find, you got to find a general manager and a coach that are competent. Just saying. All right. Let's, oh man, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, let's go to the next one. And I am going to let you all see this. Watch the ice queen here on the right. Look at this idiot. Now, let me ask you a question. Look at this fool. She's banging on, hitting the guy in the head, yelling at referees, and look how old these kids are. They're like 10. These kids are no years old. And look at this complete idiot. Now, here's the part that gets me, and it gets me all the time. Watch her when she's done here. When she's done here, she walks back unabashed, unafraid, and look. Look at it. Well, I told him. Parents, you're idiots. I refuse to believe you're anything other than idiots. I will not accept anything other than you are a stone-cold idiot, you parents. That's it. I I will have it no other way. Because this happens all the time. Now, I want to tell you something, parents. The number one thing you can do as a parent, now listen, get close, is listen to me. I had a daughter in dance, a son in every sport. I didn't coach every sport. But the number one thing is, listen to me, number two, never drink before your kid's game. Guys would be in the parking lot having beers before a game, and they're like, hey, Dan, come on over. No. No. I will not do it. Because when you drink, you make dumb decisions. When you drink, you act like an idiot. I don't know if this woman drank or not. But when you drink, here's the deal. You wake up and you go, oh, man. I thought that was so right to do. I thought that was so right to do. I, I, I just, I thought that that was, like, can you imagine Chris Beard, who is a friend of mine, in a jail cell? I don't know if he drank or not, but let's say he did, and let's say he falls asleep, and then, I don't know, 8, 9 o'clock, he wakes up and goes, oh. See, don't drink, number one. Number two, if you think the referees are awful, do yourself a favor. Take a walk. Don't walk towards the referee. Take a walk. Don't stand up. In fact, when you stand up, go that way. I learned that from my father. My father was always getting mad at the referee when I was coaching. When I was playing, he never said a word. But when I was coaching, he'd get blind. And so he's like, you know what, Dan? I just learned to take a walk to the other side of the gym. So I did that as a dad. 
if I was getting frustrated by something, I took a walk to the concession stand. And you know what happens? A change of scenery kind of straightens you out. Don't do this. Third thing, you're getting frustrated. You're sitting with a bunch of parents that are yelling, leave. Yeah, but they're my friend. Now walk away. Now walk away. Don't hang with people that are sharing the same frustration as you. You know the term misery loves company? That's it. She, when she's done smacking the window, when she's done yelling, is going up to a group of idiots that think what she just did was right. So, ladies and gentlemen, don't drink, take a walk, and move away from like-minded, frustrated people, and it will save you from being an idiot. I can only do so much for you peoples. I can only do so much, but that is as good as advice as I can give you. Don't drink. Hey, Dan, there was a red building at the Little League Park. Come on, we're going to have beers. Watch again. Uh-uh. Nope. And then I would always watch what happened. And what would happen was guys are sitting on the balcony, overlooking left field, having beers. Then they'd get a little louder. A little more. A couple other people would join. And then it happened. And I would sit there with my friends and go, I'm out. I'm out. Don't do it ever. Ever. Let me give you another one. Dyson's Zone headphones with a personal, personal, ladies and gentlemen, air purifier. Pretty expensive. Now, let me get, I'll get into the cost here in a while. But I say, Ryan, you're absolutely right. These headphones stink. You see what he did there? Like, I don't want headphones that are purifying the air. I don't. I'm sorry, Dyson Zone headphones, noise cancellation technology, all right? It's like yours from Beats and Bose and Sony and Apple and all this stuff. But I got to tell you, it costs about 800 bucks. 800 bucks. They have a personal air purifier. So you walk around not only with headphones that make you look like you're landing a plane, but you look like a complete D-bag with an air purifier. Yeah, it's got a mouthpiece. It's got a mouthpiece that if you actually look at that, it looks like the super-powered fighter Bane in the DC Comics series. It took six years to develop these crappy-ass things. The the visor-like shield, which attaches to the cups of the headphone, sits over your nose and mouth, pumping out filtered air to combat exposure to air pollution. It, ladies and gentlemen, delivers, according to the manual, manual, a plume of fresh air without touching your face using high-performance filters and two mini Ostrad air pumps. 800 bucks. 949, I was wrong, 949 American. So you can walk around looking like an idiot for $949, but you get purified air. There you go. You get purified air, and you walk around, and as my buddy and producer extraordinaire, uh, Aaron said, I'd rather have COVID for a week than ever, ever wear these things. Ever.
ever. I don't want COVID. I've had it twice. I don't want it, but I ain't doing that. You do that. Congratulations. You do that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you boys and girls, stay with me here. The assault on women continues. The assault continues, ladies and gentlemen. Women under assault. Women under attack. The Gamebridge Dictionary just dropped a new definition. An adult who lives and identifies as a female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. She was the first trans woman elected to a national office. Marries a woman who was assigned male at birth. No, she's not a woman. Transgender. Hey, look, I don't want to get into some argument. Only time I really interacted with a transgender woman was when this incredibly creepy woman, guy, dressed in a red dress, tried to hit on Lee and I as we walked in Minnesota. She, he, came up to us in high heels. We were walking back from dinner at the Final Four a few years ago and said, hey, can we ask, can I ask you a question? I looked at her and said no and just stared at her. That's what you do. It's like when you're under the water and there's a big fish that's coming at you. You get spread out. I just looked at her and said no and kept walking. And she, he peeled away. It's the only time I've really ever on the street interacted. And nobody's going to tell me that was a woman. Not a real woman. Not a woman like my wife. Not a woman like my mom, my sister, my daughter. Not a woman like that. I mean, I get it. You're a transgender woman, but you ain't a woman like those women. And if that's hating, I'm sorry. But, of course, everything's hating. You can't have a discussion. So now the dictionary changes it, and that's fine. Do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel well. But I'm not buying it. You can buy it. Your opinion can be. You can say I'm inciting violence, which I'm sure people will say, but I don't care. Uh, a woman to me is like my wife, my mother, my sister, my, my beautiful daughter, my ex-wife. Not somebody going, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? No, it ain't me. Could be you. No problem for you. No matter to me what you do. The one thing about this, why does everything that people that disagree, why does it all matter when for us to disagree, hey, we're cool with you. You can do whatever you want. I got no problem with you. You're good. You're fine. But you ain't a woman like my wife. You haven't been through what a woman goes through just because you change your sex or change whatever you change. Uh Uh-uh. Not to me. Maybe to you. Get mad, glad, angry, or sad, but not to me, maybe to you. And that's cool. Tom Crean, by the way, is going to join us, and we're going to talk college hoops because this is your go-to place for college hoops. This is awesome. This is fantastic. You're going to love this next one. Dylan, Ryan, Aaron, Haley, this is awesome. How about this headline? Ty Temple left without any monks after they all, every monk, fails a drug test. A Ty Temple was left without any monks at all. No monks after they all failed drug tests and were expelled. Four monks, including the abbot, were forced to leave the monkhood after urine tests showed evidence of illegal drugs, the Bangkok Post said. It was, the monkhood, was raided by police. 
How about that? There were a ton of dogs and cats living in the temple. They reached out and said, hey, uh, the news, the media reached out to the Monasonic chief of Bung Sam Phan district and said, hey, what are we doing here? They, you know what they said? They said, hey, we'll get more monks in there. You can't even have a religious organization without drugs. My question is, why kick them out? I mean, what are they doing? They're just hanging out, monking. They're just hanging out, sitting around, not talking, doing monk things, being gentle. I don't know why you get mad at drug tests. And why are you drug testing monks in the first place? Let me ask you that question. That's a legitimately good question. In fact, I feel that to be the most interesting question. Why are we drug testing monks? If you were the head of the monkdom, would you drug test the monks? Other question, and it's a serious one. Has the Dalai Lama ever been drug tested? Like, and who's going to drug test the Dalai Lama? Who's going to walk in and say, all right, Dalai, need a little bit of your pee, and uh, Francis here has to stand in there, and because, you know, we don't trust anybody that's peeing, we got to see, we got to watch. I don't know about you, but I'd sign up to watch the Dalai Lama pee. I would. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you go, hey, uh, I'll take that gig. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that gig. I want that gig. Give me that gig. You know what I mean? What the hell Wednesday? That is a what the hell. So in Indiana or in Bloomington, you got to understand the Dalai Lama's brother, I think I told you this all before, Norbu, had restaurants. I think he's passed away. And on the outskirts of Bloomington, I tried to tell Ryan this when he was going to Bloomington. He likes to see the um, uh, movie sites. So he was looking for the, the, you know, the, the big quarries from breaking away. But I told him, and I'll tell anybody, Jennifer, I know you go to Bloomington. It's worth taking a drive to find the monk spot. Like it's a big, it's not a campground. It's got this massive, and I mean massive gold shrine in the middle. It's pretty cool. And I don't say this to make fun, not even a little bit. Like, I've taken people there and said, why? and it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. There was a time the Dalai Lama would always come to Bloomington. And the Dalai, again, his brother was there. So the Dalai Lama, his brother, Norbu, Richard Gere would come there when he was married to Cindy Crawford. They had a thing. I went to it at Assembly Hall. He sat in the middle, uh, the robes and the pillows and, you know, and there was a zillion monks must have traveled from everywhere. Now I realize they were all high. Who knew? The monks are just sitting around getting high. But let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another question. Do you think, do you think that every monk is, should get high? I mean, what are you doing? You're not having the sex. You're not talking. Half your shoulder, you're, you're dressed like you're going to a toga party. I don't know. I'll give you another what the hell. And if you want to hit me with what the hell's on the YouTube chat or on Twitter, please feel free to do so. But I'm going to give you a what the hell right here. You ready? You will not believe this, particularly my Indiana friends. Listen to this. According to Mark Mulvihill, 
who is, I'm going to make sure, yeah, he is for Fox Sports, a strategy and analytics guy. He basically, he basically follows the trends of sports. Okay, listen to this. Americans have spent more time this year watching the World Cup than March Madness. Here are the numbers. World Cup, 43.48 billion minutes viewed on Fox, Telemundo, FS1, UVSO through the quarterfinals. March Madness, 42.44 billion minutes viewed on CBS, TNT, TBS, and True TV for the entire tournament. Now, those numbers are according to Nielsen. I'm not going to lie to you. That shocks me. That honest to God shocks me because two things. One, yes, the Americans won a game, uh, got out of group play, so we saw four games, right? We well, we, we, <coughs> we saw three in group play, and we saw one outside. What was it? Wales, uh, England, and Iran, and then the Netherlands. So we had four of those, but that's it. Everything else that we saw is a function of what? It's a function of foreign soccer players. This shocks me. I got to tell you, of all the what the hells that I am giving you, this might be the biggest what the hell. Seriously, this might be it. You're telling me, and I'm curious what you guys are saying on the YouTube chat. I'm very curious. I don't understand it. But if you tell me it, and don't tell me that, well, you know. Don't tell me that, well, you know, um, the NCAA tournament only goes Thursday to Saturday. The NCAA tournament is 64 teams. This tournament is 32 teams. This tournament is on a weird schedule. The NCAA tournament is on a schedule that you know it's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hell, I didn't know the semifinals were yesterday until I saw something from Fox News and Alert. And I actually thought that both semifinals were yesterday, so I did what my friend Cashman would do, and that is I put them in a parlay. So I got to wait today to see if France wins to win the parlay. But I got to tell you, People are saying, uh, I didn't know people like soccer that much. Uh, Mike says, I haven't watched one minute. All right. Sorry, not a soccer fan. How many games do each tournament have in total? Well, Mike, the NCAA has 64 teams. This has 32 teams. Now, there are more because the 32 teams play group play. I get that. But that's actually 68 teams. So I don't know. You know, I know that you can parse it however you would like to parse it, but I also know that that shocks me. And you know what? I know Fox, CBS, NBC, and ABC are the big deals, but think about this. Think about you got a Monday night game. Monday night, prime time. And soccer beat that. Dan, uh... Soccer is a poverty sport, but I will get juiced up for it every four years. All right. Uh, 
Uh, Iron Man says, I'm an old school U.S. Army or U- U.S. Air Force vet, flight paramedic, Vikes and Bucks fans. Welcome, Iron Man. Served in Europe. They are insane for soccer. I was in Chile with my team. I took my team to Chile. Chile was playing Brazil in a friendly. I know nothing. It's like 2001. Uh, <coughs> we're at a, at a mountaintop restaurant. With my team, we're eating, we're having a few beer, we're doing whatever. We hear gunshots, part, blah, 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 blah. And our host is like, yeah, man, Chile just beat Brazil in soccer. It's going to be all night. If your players want to have a great time, they should go out downtown, Santiago. Like, okay, I told our players, I go, look, man, I'm responsible for you. Uh, how about I let you stay out till 1 o'clock? I knew that nothing gets going until 1 o'clock. I knew. They came back in. They go, Coach, you're, you're, you knew. I go, what? I go, 1 o'clock, that's enough. He goes, it was just getting started at 1 o'clock. I said, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. We got 322 watching. We got going to have over about 10,000 views <coughs> on the YouTube chat. We're rocking and rolling. I'm sick as a dog, but I play hurt. I play hurt. Have you ever gone to bed at 6.30? That's what I did last night. First, I tried to eat my way out of it. I'm like, I feel like crap. I went and worked out. I was feeling good. I sat down. I started feeling like crap. Worse, 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 worse. I was supposed to make some phone calls. I was supposed to call Aaron. A couple other people want me to work for him. I'm like, look, I got to call you tomorrow. I go to bed. I try to eat my way out. I make myself a big sandwich. I get chips. I guess it doesn't work. Because all I did was go to bed at 6.30, take about half a bottle of melatonin, and have a bad stomach from eating and going to bed. Today... Telling you what I'm doing. Today, I may go stretch or work out just to see how, if I can sweat this out because I'm stupid. Drink about two gallons of Gatorade. Sit on my dupayash. I'm going to bet the crap out of France, and I'm going to have a nice day. But first, coming up in three minutes, the best on TV, Seth Greenberg, Fran Frischella, Tom Crean. I'm glad Tom Crean's back. I am. I'm glad he's back on ESPN. We're going to talk college basketball, what he thinks of Purdue, what he thinks of Indiana, what he thinks of UConn. We're going to get into college hoops because this show is the go-to spot for college hoops. We'll be right back with the coach, Tom Crean, in a minute. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, I've said this, and I've said this a lot, and I'm going back to whenever. I'm glad Tom Crean is back on ESPN. I I don't lie. I grew up not watching or watching tape without the sound on. I did. Coach Knight and I, that's all. We never had the sound on. And I've said this, like, players trying to act like coaches doesn't tell me anything. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't tell you and others don't have their favorite announcer. I'm just saying for me, I can't listen to a former player that never coached. I love listening to Coach Crean, love listening to Seth, Fran, 
uh, and I'm glad he's back. Coach joins us now. I want to get right into this, Coach. Um, you're back at ESPN. I know you are diligent in your study, so I want to give you a team, Purdue. How good is Purdue? Should Purdue – Tom, you know this. Let me just stop a second. You know Purdue fans can't have enough good things. They always think, oh, man, things are going good. It's going to collapse. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? What's going on with Purdue? I don't think it's going to collapse. I think the biggest thing you look at, okay, Zach Keady's getting all the attention and he deserves it. You could see it in the in the in the beginning of the season. His level of improvement is incredible. I had a chance to see him play at IMG. You know, when he first came over to uh, the states from Canada, and and then to watch his development, it's like the the only thing's the same is the height. I mean, the body's different, the game is different, the strength is different. What I think is so different with him now is his quickness. I mean, and his his ability to get the ball from the shoulder to the rim as quick as he does, his strength, he's so fundamentally sound. I don't think – I mean, Matt gets a lot of deserved credit for how good of a coach he is. I'm not sure he gets enough credit for how great of a developer of players, especially bigs that he is. But I think they're going to keep going because I think they really understand how to play around him. Um, there, there's no hidden agendas on that team. Uh, they've got exactly what they need. They've got quickness in the backcourt. They've got depth. They've got the ability to shoot it. They move the ball extremely quick. Uh, Gillis just gets so many things done. And, and, and as you know, the first memories of Gillis were that he was going to be a first round draft pick in baseball. And I remember seeing him play baseball as a freshman. I mean, so to see what he's done as a basketball player, is tremendous. I think the one guy, though, Dan, that's got to continue to get better for them and he's got to shoot the ball better because he's got the potential to not only be a glue guy but to be a go-to guy in certain situations is Trey Ren Kaufman. I think his improvement is big, but I think he's the one guy that's got to continue to get better during the season. You know, I've talked about him and I talked about Newman. You know, they. I feel like this. There are times – and I saw it, God, it was in a big game, maybe it was Gonzaga, where Kaufman got the ball in the middle of the lane and just went to a left shoulder jump hook coach, and it was so easy. You know what I mean? Like he's six foot seven or eight, whatever, and it was against a good team. I'm with you. I think if their wings can continue to develop, particularly uh, Kaufman, Brent, I think they've got a special team. I really do. I do, too, because they're young. And as you know, if you've got the right work ethic, and they do, I mean, and you can just see it. And and when you have that kind of youth that's getting that kind of time right now, if they had to have had a hunger to get to this point, right? So, like, if that hunger continues on and they continue to stay in the gym the way it looks like they, they, they do, I don't think there's any question they're going to get better. I mean, obviously, the Big Ten is going to beat each other up at times, and there's going to be – uh, I don't think there's anybody obviously going to go undefeated but to me. But at the end of the day, if you continue to get better, and they're going to win more than their fair share of road games, and as you know, going into Purdue is just an absolute nightmare. I mean, it's like, again, it's like winning twice when you go in there and get a win. I felt like that at Indiana, you know, when we finally broke that and we were able to go in there. But bottom line is uh, <laughs> they have so many ways that they can beat you. And because they're so good at their misdirections, they're so good at – at ceiling, they're so good at creating movement, and Edie is just getting so much better, uh, not only on the offensive end but on the defensive end. And then with the picture first, I'm really surprised how how well he's played this early. So it just goes to show when you got guys that are playing at that high level, that young, 
they're going to keep getting better because they're going to keep improving throughout the season. Last question on Purdue. You know, you had this with Oladipo and Zeller. Early picks, man. You know, top five picks. We saw, you know, Jaden Ivey leaves. And what – I know it's culture, but sometimes – and I'm not saying this is true with Ivey, but I did watch him. Sometimes the best player, the most ball-dominant player leaving in an operation like Matt's doesn't really hurt you as much as it might other operations. you agree with that? Well, because they've got good experience back, right? And they, he did a great job recruiting the freshman guards. But because of that experience, and again, Ivy was so talented that he could hold the ball a little bit extra because he knew he was going to be able to beat people to the rim. And, and there were times certainly that the ball stuck, but more, more importantly, he could get to the basket, right? And when you've got that kind of ability and you can put that kind of pressure on the rim, and then make, as you know, I mean, every great team you were part of at Indiana, probably at Bowling Green, the same thing with us at Indiana. All right, we made more free throws than our opponents attempted. And when and when you have that, which is what Purdue needs to be successful, um, you've got that. And so now they just get it a little bit different way. There may not be breaking as many people down off the dribble, but I said this last year watching with, with what he did with Williams. Their cutting game, some teams, especially in the Big Ten, they cut just to cut. You know, they cut to try to move the defense. Purdue cuts to score. And when they've got the ability to cut, especially on the weak side, that, that just steals buckets. So not only can they get back cuts off the baseline and get layups on the break, they can get back cuts from the weak side. Uh, and Edie can find those people now. But then at the end of the day, they can just put him in the middle of the lane and put four people around them. And it's, it's a nightmare to try to figure out how you're going to defend that. You know, one of the things that, honest to God, we never did at Indiana with Bob Knight, I started doing it because the game changed, and you mentioned Williams. You know, I thought last year Purdue did an amazing job of making Williams a point center, point forward, and they had a cutting game with Williams mm -hmm. in the post. They still do the same thing with Edie. I mean, they still can. I'm not saying he's the passer that Williams is, but their cutting game off the post is fascinating and something that not a lot of coaches pay attention to. Absolutely right. I mean, again, the more film you watch, the more you see people will cut, but they're just cutting through. Like, it's not a cut if you're not looking for the ball, right? It's not a cut if you're not finishing full speed and going for it. And I think the one thing that's going to happen for uh, Purdue this year is on that cutting game, it's going to create more rotations. They're going to create more offensive rebounds because, because obviously with the three, there's long rebounds. Well, sometimes when ED or Trey Run Kaufman, I mean, those guys around the bucket, there's going to be short misses, and now you've got people that are in position. But you've got to you've got to have all five eyes on Edie every time, or I mean, all five guys, ten eyes on Edie every time he catches it. <laughs> now, where you had to have that with Williams a year ago, you didn't necessarily have to have that with Edie. But I just think the the, the soundness of him catching the ball, right, like. You think about the quarterback-center exchange and how important that is in football. Every time Edie catches the ball, all right, he's in position to make something happen. He's not losing it like he was in the, in the past. He's strong. He keeps it high. And he wastes no time trying to make a play. And that's a sign of confidence. That's a sign of development. And that's a sign of real upside. Um, I watched Kentucky. My boy, Seth Greenberg, I told him early, I go, look, now, again, you had to coach against him. I don't have to coach against him, so it's easy for me to say this, okay? 
I look at Kentucky and I see a talented team. I think next year will be more talented, obviously. But I don't see special. I, I don't see, you know, Ant- Anthony Dave. I don't see special out of this team. I'm not sure what to make of Kentucky, Coach. But I know this. I don't see special like we've seen with John Wall and those kind of teams that you had to battle. Well, those teams that he had, and then you look at the Bookers and the Carl Anthony Towns, they're special, and then there's max numbers in the NBA, right? And then he right. had guys that became right. max number guys. I mean, look at what Alexander's doing in, in Oklahoma City. I mean, and so I don't see that. Now, I think Casey Wallace is going to get there. I think he – I saw him play some in high school. We recruited one of his teammates last year who's at Alabama now, Ryland Griffin. But I saw Casey Wallace last summer in a really good game at Duncanville High School – I think he I think he knocked down eight threes inside a, a game. And I didn't know that he, he had that. Well, he's already in the 50s in college. His upside and his improvement level is is immense. I mean, that's a kid that I think when he goes in the gym, he goes in the gym and gets better. I think the thing that for them, because I think they can win in that league. Uh, I've thought this all along with the team that he has. They've got to average closer to nine threes a game, I think. Uh, than eight or seven. I think they've got to be in that ballpark every game. I don't think there's any reason that they can't. With C.J. Frederick, with Antonio Reeves, and with uh, with Kaysa Wallace, I think JoJo Toppin is in the teens right now. I think that's something that uh, has got to improve. But they've just got to let the game come because Sheway, not only is he so tough to guard, okay, in the post, last year he was basically, I don't know what the numbers were, but he had to be 70, 80% on his foul line jump shot. I mean, it was like, it was just like dead eye automatic. Okay. He can roll. He's impossible to get around. I still don't think, I think for them to have the great, great year, he's got to not only be healthy, he's got to get better and he's got to get back to playing the way that he's capable of. And, and um, it's not about the threes and things of that nature. It's about making sure that you're as efficient as you can be. And then I think, again, for that team, it's going to all come down to, with Severe Wheeler, how do people guard him? I mean, if you back off and you sit in the paint, uh, it's it's not going to be as easy because he can't get in the lane as well. When he can get in the lane, when he can throw it ahead on the break, when he can get into a drive and kick game and 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 you come up and you guard him like people did when, when he was with me at Georgia, like I couldn't believe how high people would come up and guard him. That just like played into our hands because now you're letting him in that lane. And I think he's got to make enough threes to bring people out, but that's not his game. His game is to attack, penetrate, get to the rim, find the open man. And I think, again, a lot of their games are going to depend on how do people try to defend them? What are they trying to take away? How backed off are they? How much pressure are they bringing? Let me ask you, relative to Kentucky, and I think we've talked about this. I know you're you're not going to badmouth anybody, but the difference between basketball at Georgia and basketball – at Kentucky is immense. How difficult is it to compete and beat Kentucky in that league? Well, it, last year for us, we had two guys in the NIL that they made sixteen hundred dollars. I mean it, and a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars. I'm not kidding. A thousand dollars that came from Crystal, uh, the fast food place, and so. That, that's a tough deal. And I'm sure it's higher there this year because the collectives, I mean, it has to be. I mean, you can't exist without it. And 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 it, it's it's definitely different. It, it, it's, 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 it's um, you, but again, I've said this to you before. We set attendance records our first two years there. I mean, people were into it. 
COVID hit, we lost Anthony Edwards. It became Zoom recruiting and, and video recruiting. Um, and we don't have we didn't have the name for that. But it's 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 incredibly different because John, they have so many different ways that they can get talent. And it all starts with the fact that he can put people, not only do they have a great name, but he 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 doesn't have to sell NBA contracts. He's selling max contracts. I mean, and it's just it's amazing that you have that. And he's earned that. I mean, there's no question they've earned that. But but for that team to really win this year in a league that's got Alabama that's going to keep getting better because of how young they are, Arkansas, uh, all the different teams in that league, Auburn, they've got to keep getting better during the year because that league will be hard. I'm not sure over the last couple of years that people have absolutely feared playing Kentucky the way that they have. And I think that almost plays into the hands of Kentucky if they do a good job because because the bottom line is that they, they're that when they, when they're locked in and when they're creating some points off their defense and that break is flying the way that it can they're they're going to be really really hard to beat and they could easily be a final four team if they can keep that up coach i said this the two best coaching jobs that i have seen my life i don't know about anybody else was your job the way you got indiana to number one in the country, and John Beeline, I took over, I was involved in both. John takes over West Virginia after I leave and gets them into the Elite Eight with a 25-point lead uh, against Louisville. And, and, you know, they're going to go to the Final Four three or four years later. It's the two best jobs I've ever seen. We've seen now Kenny Payne at Louisville. He is, uh, they're struggling. His, he, what would you tell him? What would your advice be to a guy starting out the way Kenny Payne in Louisville has started out? Well, what my advice would be, they got to have more energy on that bench. I mean, it, it started early to me. I mean, all the way across the board. They got to like, they got to find some fake fun over there. All right. Some fake enthusiasm. Fake it till you make it. Right. Like, there's got to be, right. there, it, it's almost like it, the world is caved in early on in the game. And I don't mean that in Kenny because Kenny's trying to coach the team. I mean, he's up, he's not on the bench, but that bench has got to show some life and energy. And, and you can't have a self-fulfilling prophecy that it's not going to go well, right? Like, get into it. But the other thing that I would do in is as much as anything, they've got to get better. And it was surprising to me that Ellis Withers, guys like that, they just haven't shown a lot of improvement from last year. And and to me, they haven't. And I'm sure losing games plays into that. But, like, they got to get over there and have a little fun. I mean, this is not going to change just because somebody's going to have a bad night. This is only going to change – if they play with more enthusiasm, if they find ways to get easier baskets, uh, they, they 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 go into a mode where they start trying to do their own thing too early. And that's got to break. So whether it's more of a continuity offense, whether it's more middle pick and roll, uh, it, it doesn't have to be complex, obviously, but it's got to be something that they can go find layups and free throws with. And then defensively, I would say this, and I think this is one of the biggest issues for a lot of teams right now is the defensive transition isn't close to being where it's got to oh. be. And so way too much head hanging on a, on a missed shot. There's way too much lag on a turnover. There's way too much. I always called it the windup. Like we worked a lot on change of direction on a, on a sudden change type of thing in basketball. Like you, especially big guys, they wind up, right? Like they no, you got to turn plant pivot and go. And your first two steps of getting back in transition are as important as the first two steps you take running in transition. 
And what happens is this lag time just becomes like ep epidemic. And I think, you know, you just got to control what you can control. And I would start with just having more bench energy. And, and you'd say, well, what do they have to be excited about? Well, you know what? What don't they have to be excited about? You're playing college basketball. I mean, get excited for one another and let's figure it out. You know, figure it out and see what happens. That's a really what with us in Indiana. I mean, we won six games that first year. You know that. Like, but but I would go off if we had guys when we would look at that film that were just sitting there, you know, dwindling their thumbs or looking down. Like you gotta you gotta create bench energy even when you don't have anything to fall back on. Yeah, to explain to people, I did this, um, you did this, I know. You'd I you'd make tapes. I'd make tapes of the bench and show the Absolutely. bench, like, hey, what do you what you know what I mean? People, I don't think, really understand how coaches see this thing. Well, I did it. I'd, I'd go all the way back to Marquette. We would put up a second camera at times during the games. Now, certainly the TV games were a lot easier to do that, right? But I would take games, right. especially if we did not play well, right? And if I didn't want to go in there and just be all over the play, right? I wanted to be all over the camaraderie. I wanted to be all over. My, my whole message was how we were beating ourselves. And so, again, you might have... 50 things that you did wrong in the game, okay? And you can't go over those 50 things because they're not going to accept and hear, and it's going to then become negative criticism. But when you start attacking, you know, a guy's bad body language or a guy pouting on the bench or a guy not getting up when a guy comes out of the game, or, or you know, and the, and the thing that drives me nuts with coaches too, okay? All right, we go up 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, man, we're jumping all around, we're excited. We start to lose the lead, we go on a, a 6-0 run the wrong way, we're sitting there like the like the world is caving in. I, I would go off on that, and I'm sure you would too, because you know, we've had a lot of guys go on to be head coaches. They were never going to accept that as head coaches. So I wasn't going to accept that as the head coach with them and as assistant coach, because if you're in the program, you have a responsibility for winning, right? And if everybody can help you lose the game, well, then everybody's got to have a responsibility for helping you win a game. And I would have some of my toughest film sessions all the way back to Marquette and certainly Indiana with showing bench, decorum, you know, the attitude of the bench. The new thing now is, and we went through this in Indiana, you come out of a game, you want to go to the end of the bench, okay? Because you can sit down there, you can commiserate with a couple guys that aren't playing as much, you can pout, coach can't see you. No, we're not doing that. You're going you're gonna to come up and you're going to be in one of the first seats near the coaches on the bench, and it's just, I think you got to coach that. I think you always had to coach it, but I think you've got to coach it more in this day and age than you ever have in your life. Why? Why this day and age? Because selfishness. It's so easy to be jealous. It's so easy to be selfish. And I think a lot of times because of the way you come up in sports, the way you come up in the game. Well, I mean, how many guys did you really have that ever wanted to come out of a game? Right. I mean, they don't want to come out of a game. Well, it's so much more than that. It's it's it, the greatest line that I ever heard about being able to play off the bench. Scott Skiles told me this about Adrian Griffin. And he said, Adrian Griffin was a play-on-demand guy. He said it didn't matter if he was starting, coming off the bench, hadn't played till the fourth quarter. He was ready to play, okay? As soon as we needed him, he was ready to play. Like, I never forgot that phrase. And I would preach it, but more importantly, try to preach it, I would try to show it. And you try to help people get ready. And I think what happens in this day and age, 
that it's so easy to be sitting on that bench and be locked into something else. It's so easy to sit on that bench and be upset that you're not playing and you're not ready when you go in. And and the bottom line, there's so many easier ways to be distracted. Now, look up in the crowd at your family. Look up in the crowd at your friends. You want somebody to validate your feelings that you should be in the game. Right. And you and you can't have that. I mean, it's it's natural, but you can't allow that on your team. And I think too many coaches, the, the lack of awareness on benches, okay, can get you beat. And it has nothing to do with what's going out with what's going on, on the floor. Uh General Hal Moore, who was a, a incredible general. We were soldiers that Mel Gibson starred in. It was a movie about his life. We had the great fortune of being around him, some in Indiana, but mostly around Marquette. And he had a great line that fits sports. And he, and he really used this in the, in the terms of, of, of war, too. And he said, momentum is always up for grabs. He said, in the world of sports, it's not just a coach. It's not just somebody on the floor. It could be somebody off the bench. It could be one of your managers. It could be one of your assistant coaches. Anybody can change the momentum of the game. And, and I always thought about that with the bench. I mean, that's how you are when you go into the game. And I think bench energy, you know, really being there for your teammates, you see less and less pulling for one another. And I think that has got to be something that you absolutely have to coach like you coach an out-of-bounds play. Two teams, and I want to get to both. I'm going to tell you what I said. I, I have not watched much of UConn, but I have said this about Indiana. Now, again, I was there 17 years. It's part of my DNA, and but I got to, you know, be careful, as I'm sure, and not to be seen as bitter, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, with an older team, it's time for Indiana to beat good teams. And I'm not sure beating North Carolina isn't beating a good team. It might be. UConn, Danny Hurley has always been, to me, a guy, and he combines coaching people very, very tough with somehow getting them to like it and not quitting. What's your thoughts on those two teams? Well, Indiana, I think you're right because I think they're deep. And But I do think this. I, I think the fact that Jalen hood Shafino didn't play this past week, I think that really – I've always felt like he might be the best pro prospect on their team. That's not taking anything away from any of the rest of them. But I think the fact that he didn't play this week showed how much they missed him. There's a presence about him. You know, he's got a freshman presence. Like Yogi Ferrell had a freshman presence for us. He was 5'11", but he had a freshman presence. Shafino's got a presence. There's a confidence about him. And I don't know him, but, I mean, there's a confidence that he plays with. And and I think they have a chance to be really deep. But but for that to happen, obviously, they're going to have to win on the road. And the way you win on the road is you find a way to get free throws and layups. You find a way to make sure that your transition defense is good. I really thought the transition defense would be and could be an issue against Arizona because Arizona, to Bellis, is like Cody Zeller was for us. And, I mean, Cody Zeller and Anthony Davis were the two fastest guys, you know, big men getting up and down the court in the country when they were both in college. That's like Tabellis. Tabellis is fast, but he looks so much faster because he runs harder every time. And, like, when you deal with that, right, when you deal with somebody that's getting up and down the floor like that every time, that puts a ton of pressure on your defense. But I do think a couple things for them when it comes to the veterans. Okay, obviously, Shafino, Renal, those guys got to get better, and I think they will. Miller Cop has got to be – he can't be streaky this year. I mean, he's got – he's in the 50s now, I think. He's got to be there. You know, he's got to be a consistent – he can knock down three threes a night, you know, no matter who they're playing. Uh, uh, road or home, right? I think Xavier Johnson has got to cut the turnovers back. I think there's a big difference when he's playing with really good 
control, mindset, speed. He's playing fast, but it's the old John Wooden, be quick, don't hurry. I think when he plays like that, he plays pretty well for them. And then I think what they found the other day, like Race Thompson earlier in the year, like when he shot jumpers, it was so flat to me. Like you could tell before it hit the rim that it wasn't going in. The way he shot it the other night and gained confidence against Arizona because they didn't guard him, right? And so he knocked him down. He made him pay. If he can make a couple threes, if he can be a threat, that's going to change their whole game because that's going to allow Trace Jackson Davis that much more room to operate inside. UConn is going to get better and better. Um, There's something about their improvement level right now and the way that they've blended the youth. Like Donovan Klingon is getting a ton of attention, and he should because he's really quick. He's pretty athletic. He's getting better. You know, he's 7'1", 7'2". He really wanted to be at UConn. Uh, but the kid, Alex Caravan, is the one he's averaging 27 minutes a game. He can play the four. He can play the three. He's holding his own defensively as a freshman. <laughs> I think for Danny, I think, or Dan, they've got to, they're playing nine guys 17 or more minutes right now. And that's with Nahim Alin, who's not playing great yet, or Hassan Diera. Those two have not really found their way yet on that team. And they're veterans. They're SEC and ACC veterans. If those two can fit in, to go along with the kid, Joey Calcaretta, Joey Calcaretta, Dan, was a 37% career three-point shooter at San Diego. He's in the 50s right now for them. And he's like Nick Zeisloff was for us at Indiana. He he can beat you without the ball because you have to guard him. He can move without it. He plays quick. He doesn't have to shoot it every time. He can, he can pass it to the next guy quickly. But if you leave him open, he's knocking it down. So, like, UConn has got tremendous ingredients not to mention what Jordan Hawkins, Adama Sanago, what those guys are doing. Their other players have got to continue to get better because Hawkins is like ridiculous how much better he's shooting the ball from one year to the next. And if they keep that up, that's going to be a great team. And I don't think there's any reason to think that Indiana can't be either. What Indiana fans can't do is, as you know, as well as I do, there can't be panic when they lose a game on the road. I mean, the, the league is too good, too hard to win on the road. Rutgers is a nightmare hey. to play. We were fortunate to win in there. Yeah, that Rutgers is ridiculous. Uh, last thing, you like uh, your brother-in-law's chances? You like his chances yeah, in the uh, Final Four? Absolutely, but I think the thing about TCU, like they kind of have that spirit that Jim's team has got. Like they, Jim's team has never, in the last two years, they've never played like they're in some arrival moment. And we saw them practice a couple times before the Ohio State game and because uh, we were up there for Thanksgiving. And the level of maturity on that team, it, it's incredible. And, like, they weren't in pads the days that we were there. They were in pads before we got there. But the level of work and the level of, of, of just it, – it, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. Like, there's no body language. They, they just go through it. And there's – it's not like giddy joy, but like there's a joy that they have when they go from one thing to the next. They're not this rah-rah type of runaround team. They've got a real maturity about them, but they're so workmanlike and there's such a precision to what they're doing. And I think that's one reason that he loves that team and he loves his coaching staff. And the thing I'm proud of with Jim, he's done an unbelievable job uh, getting in shape. He works out six days a week. His, his health is really good. You know, and obviously with everything that's going on this week, you worry about that more than anything else in any profession, but especially the coaching profession. 
And I just think he's in a good spot, and I think he's got his team clicking on a lot of cylinders. So I don't think there's any question they could win it. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Hey, Coach, thanks, man. I kept you longer than I, I should have, but that was great stuff, man. We got to do this again. This is awesome. Anytime. Thank you. Always love it, Dan. Have a great Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas to your whole family. You uh, too. Coach Crean, I'm telling you, did the best coaching job in my world. I don't know about every coaching job, but I was at West Virginia eight days, and I left, and I knew what a mess it was, and I was at Indiana. I knew what a mess it was, and Coach came into Indiana, did an unbelievable job, and Beeline did the same thing, and I'm glad, like, I'm really glad he's at ESPN because when he talks, I listen. Most of these other guys, when they talk, it's just kids talking. It's just former players. They don't know, but he, when he speaks, I absolutely positively listen. All right, uh, we got a half an hour here. We're going to get into Draymond Green's comments. Draymond got a guy kicked out uh, and does not like how people are accepting consequences for their actions, which is ridiculous for Green because Green got no consequence. I'm going to lay into Draymond Green coming up here in a little bit. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, let's not mess around. Do you remember Bella Rasmussen, the young lady out in Laguna Beach who scored two touchdowns, first running back, female running back, to ever, ever, ever score points in football leagues? Listen to this. And she joined our show, and she was awesome. Look, she became the first female football player to land an NIL deal. She signed an NIL deal with Key West, Alabama, on mental health app, Back in October, she made history as the first girl to score two touchdowns in a California high school varsity football game. I've got seven up this time. I do not have my A&W, which I will drink the hell out of for the rest of the afternoon watching soccer. But I got to say, salute. She's awesome. She came on our show. We'll probably give you some clips tomorrow on it. She came on our show back uh, right after she scored a couple touchdowns, and she kicked you-know-what. Bella, you are awesome. By the way, tomorrow we're also going to rip on this idiot that ripped on women's sports with our friend Aaron Perrine. I can't wait. Dane Fife is going to join us on Friday as we get you ready for Kansas and Indiana as college hoops. This is your go-to place. Always has been, always will be. The YouTube chat is absolutely pumping. The world that we know it is rocking and rolling. But let's talk now about the fool. And I do say this with complete and total disrespect. The fool that is Draymond Green. Draymond Green ejected a fan yesterday. Uh, can we hear from Draymond Green? Is it possible? And that fan eventually got ejected. What, what, what did they say to you? Uh, some threatening stuff to my life. So, you know, um, I was this close to really going back and, like, diving all the way in, but kind of just went back and told the official. And when I told the official what he said, he's like, oh, he got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. 
do you, do you like that? I guess you know. I know you got fined a couple weeks ago when you said something to the fan. Do you like that? That's kind of an option to you, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't necessarily say that it, that hasn't been an option. That's kind of been an option, but I think you know there are times where you're just in the moment, you know, and and you respond. And so. Uh, you know, that's been an option. That that wasn't like, oh, I just found out that was an option once I got fined. Like, that's been there. Uh, and the league has made that clear to us for years that that's been there. But like I said, we're our human beings, and there are times where you just respond, you know, and um, try to learn from the mistakes. But, you know, like I said, there's still the human side, the human element to it. That, you know, sometimes you just... Respond. That's just that. Do you think? Fan- yeah. Well, let me. There are no real consequences. Green said. Really? If anybody knows about no real consequence, yeah, you can't come back to the game, or even if you get arrested, nothing really happens. You just hope it gets to the point where these leagues can work with legislators to implement laws, because that's the only thing that's really going to correct the issue. Ah, oh, Timmy yelled at me. Timmy yelled at me on the sideline. He ain't nobody threatened anybody's life. What do you say? I'm going to kill you? We all know that these guys are full of crap. We all know that I don't care whether you're black, white, woke, not woke, whatever. All these athletes that talk like this are full of crap. You know, we saw it at BYU. People are full of crap. He threatened my life. Really? Did it really scare you? Really? And for Draymond Green, a guy that sucker punched a teammate, Literally walked up to the guy when his hands were down and knocked him out and faced absolutely zero consequence. Zero. There was no arrest. There was no suspension. A little bit of a fine, which is basically a fly in an elephant's backside. He faced zero consequence, and he's sitting here talking about consequences. Now, look, I'm all for everybody. That's why I think, in my opinion, people that actually tell the truth, are the bad guys. Van Pasterman, have a great rest of your day. He doesn't get punched for knocking out a teammate. That's no problem. No problem. The snowflake that is Steve Kerr, the guy Mike Myers, or whatever Myers' name is, the general manager, they're too afraid of Draymond Green. They're white guys. They're afraid that if you discipline an African-American, you're a racist. It's what every white media slash coach is afraid of. Every guy is be, white guy is afraid of being called a racist. Everybody knows this. And if you don't and you want to come at me, then fine posture. But Draymond Green got zero, zero consequences. Yet he's talking about the consequences of others. See, I think what we should do in this world is just everybody lie. Everybody lied. Biden says he brought down the deficit when he raised the deficit. Draymond Green talking about consequences. Beautiful. Beautiful. Just talk about, con- just talk about, I got a full head of hair. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. I got a full head of hair. I have one. I don't want to hear about it. I've got it. Don't tell me anything else other than I've got a full head of hair. I mean, if Draymond Green can talk about consequences, then surely I can say I got a full head of hair. There's nobody more full of crap, nobody more full of anything than Draymond Green. And I will tell you this, Draymond Green, honest to God, Draymond Green's got street cred because one of the great things that you can do is punch somebody. It is. 
Because now everybody looks at you, particularly white guys in the media, scared to death. Nobody was writing any articles about Draymond Green should be suspended. Nobody. Why? Scared to death. Oh, my God, he's racist. I had a guy, African-American guy yesterday, tell me, man, I love your stuff. You're awesome. I just wish you hadn't gone to work for Clay KKKK or whatever. And I went, I said, well, what's he written that you don't like? And he couldn't come up with anything. It's just a narrative. Steve Kerr is the man, right? Steve Kerr is all about everything, all about wokeism. Our athletes are so freaking soft. Our athletes are such entitled babies that eventually people with money are going to say, yeah, I ain't going. Eventually people are going to say, yeah, no chance. I already know a few. I'm one of them. Why would I want to go see the Pacers play? What is of interest there? You know, I'm tired of being told that, well, you know, you punch somebody. I'm tired of being told, well, you know, you can't tell somebody they've got nice shoes in the workplace. That actually happened. When our company got bought, I had to go to a diversity training thing. So I'm like, all right, radio company, they gave you these examples. What do you think I put? Everything was offensive. I just put everything was offensive. And I kind of laughed, like, what do you think I'm going to put? Middle-aged white guy? No chance. I understand everything is offensive that comes out of my mouth. But, obviously, not everything, but the point is made. So they actually told us, not just me, but us, well, you can't really tell uh, somebody that they have nice shoes. That can be taken as a come on. Uh, you people are idiots. I mean, hey, those are nice shoes. I'm a fashionista. You have nice shoes. Yeah, you can't tell that. You can't. No, you can't. Uh, I got in a hassle one time with a former player, George Hill. He's an idiot. He started telling all of the fans in Indiana, he was naming who was real fans and who wasn't. And I said, hey, dummy, people pay hundreds of dollars for tickets, $50 to park, $100 to eat, just to come to see your dumb you-know-what, and you're questioning whether they're real fans because they criticize you? Athletes are idiots. Athletes are entitled idiots. And I, 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 I go about the business of saying this. I go Tony Kornheiser. I don't want athletes on my show. People say, well, why don't you get this athlete? I said, okay, I got him on a year ago. He, could, he, he, he brought nothing to the table. McAfee was the one guy. I'll tell you two guys that I like, McAfee and Naheem Hines. McAfee and Naheem Hines absolutely freaking had it figured out. Are we question? Uh, they were great. McAfee was unbelievable. I was his first interview. You knew that he was on to something special. And Naheem Hines, every time I talked to Naheem Hines, the running back, I would text Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, and say, this is a great dude. Jonathan Taylor, same thing, but he didn't say anything. Hines wouldn't, wasn't afraid to talk. No, seriously. It is funny to me. Wait, you guys giving me an F on my hair? What are you talking about? So anyway, when I listen to uh, Draymond Green talk like that, I just laugh. Because people hang on his every word. Oh, my God, Draymond said, Draymond's an idiot. You punch your teammate like that, you're an idiot. I don't give a damn what he says. I don't give a damn what LeBron likes him or doesn't like him or other athletes like him or, you know, fan. I know he's an idiot. You punch your teammate like that, you're a stone idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're a stone idiot. Dan, watch ESPN. Former players, for the most part, stink at giving good, honest opinions. 
College, a former coach is much more. Where's the poll here? I, I cannot listen. I can't. I'm sorry. I know we should, but I absolutely cannot listen to former players talking if they've never coached. I can't anymore. I used to, but I can't. When I hear Tony Romo, I used to think he was really good. Now Tony Romo has bought into his own crap, and he's not any good. The one guy that I do like is Troy Aikman. I think Troy Aikman is terrific. But I don't listen to Romo anymore. I want to. I I thought he was really good because he told me stuff I didn't know. That's why I'm glad that Tom Crean, as my earpiece is killing me, that Tom Crean is back. Who are you going to turn on? Sean Farnham? Who's that? Dallin Cuff? What's that? What? Who, who, what? Joey, or not Joe, uh, Jimmy Cornette, or what? I forget his name. What are these guys going to tell you? It's like watching little kids. John Crispin, it's like watching little kids. I like cream. I like guys that tell me stuff. Seth Greenberg, tell me something. Make it interesting from a coaching perspective. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Could you knock out Draymond Green? Uh, No. No. No, that's on our Twitter poll. No. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the Woke-A-Dope before I give you the big finish. I'll give you the big finish. Who's the Woke-A-Dope? Man, what is this? Just did the math. We have, count them, four stories about people abusing kids today. If we're society's a mirror, you people suck. What? So John Griffin of New York City, uh, I don't know if he's a bad guy or good guy. How am I reading this? This guy, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I'm sorry. I didn't see it. So John Griffin is the guy that put this out. John Griffin, if you read this guy, John Griffin, John Griffin is horrific. He was a former CNN producer and apparently a big-time CNN producer. What this idiot did is not only somewhat sick, it's completely sick. And the mommies and daddies that sold their kids to this idiot are even worse. Let me read to you what this guy, this guy was a longtime New Day producer. He got arrested in 2021. Let me tell you what this idiot did. Child sex crimes, all right, that we know. This guy would convince mothers, mothers to, listen, Griffin later transferred over $3,000 to a mother for plane tickets so the mother and her nine-year-old daughter could fly from Nebraska to Logan Airport in Boston. Listen to this. The mother and child flew to Boston July of 2020. Griffin picked him up in his Tesla, drove them to his Ludlow house. At the house, the daughter was, in it, Jesus, directed to engage in and did engage in unlawful sexual activity. Now think about this. This guy Griffin was so sick, he said that every woman is a wanton whore and that the core of every female Uh, and that a woman is a woman regardless of her age. He sent text messages to mothers of two daughters, 9 and 13. One of the big lies in this society, Griffin said, is that women are delicate, innocent angels, and they are, in actuality, 
naturally the dirtiest sluts possible in every metric. This is this idiot. This is what this guy, this CNN producer, is all about. I told you, media is evil. These people are evil. Listen to this. He texts this mother. When handled appropriately, a woman is a woman regardless of her age and urged the mother to make sure her 13-year-old daughter was trained properly by this idiot. He says that he sexually trained girls as young as seven years old. This is a CNN report. And there's a couple others at CNN, I think, I could be wrong, maybe I should say allegedly, that are in the same boat, not quite to the same level as this guy. These are the people, ladies and gentlemen, that are providing your news. These are the people that are giving you the information. These are the people that are deciding what information you should get and what information you should not get. These people. It's the same thing. It's the same thing all across the media. I'm just telling you it is. You can say it's not. You can think it's not. But the worst people that you know, that I know, certainly, I'm being judged by an adulterer. Admit it. And I know the stories. It's unbelievable to me. But the world is what the world is. And we listen to people in the media because they judge all of us. Hey, I ain't mad about it. It is what it is. Imagine this guy calls up your wife. Look at this guy. Non-binary Biden nuclear official, Sam Britton, fired after multiple luggage theft charges. This is a guy that everybody in the media stood with. They don't know him. They don't know the backstory. They surmise he's some hero because he wears lipstick, a dress, and earrings. But he's some hero. He's some woke hero. No, he's not. No. Mm-mm. No, the deal is simple. The deal is very, very simple. Before you read or listen to any of these idiots on television, know a little bit of the backstory. Seriously, know a little bit about it. I ain't mad at you. I'm not mad at you. You can do whatever you'd like to do. You can be whoever you want to be. Doesn't bother me even a little bit. But I don't want people to be heroes unless they're, in fact, heroes. And I don't want people to be chopped down unless they are, in fact, disgusting in their behavior. This guy, this Britain guy, not only stole some Louis Vuitton luggage, he stole numerous times. Why did it take so long for our media? Why for our media to cover it? Why did it take so long for Biden to fire? You know why? We all know why. Everybody knows why. Because the media is afraid. There are certain groups the media is afraid and they are going to cater to. One, the LGBTQ plus community. They just are. Two, they're going to, I don't know about cater to, but they're going to be scared to death that somebody dare call them racist. Scared to death that somebody in some type position of power is going to say that's racist. Seriously, you all know this, like the coach at Purdue who just got hired is hailed as this great hire by the same people that said Archie Miller was a great hire at Indiana, a home run hire. I don't know if the dude's any good or not. I don't know if they're saying that because he's African-American or not. I got no idea, but I do know this. I don't want a defensive coach at Purdue. He might be the greatest coach ever, but if I'm Purdue, I want offense. I don't care. You can hire an African-American. You can hire white. You can hire whatever you want. But if I'm where I want, 
offense. And I get it. You know, you will see nobody in the Indianapolis-Purdue world that is going to criticize the hire except for me because, hey, look, I've been called every name in the book. What do I care? But I don't want a defensive guy. I want an offensive guy. And I don't want to hear how great a coach is at 36 when he was a defensive coordinator at Mississippi or Missouri where, guess what, they're about ready to get fired at Missouri. They've been off. Bah. Bah. Last, 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 last thing. Should I be worried about COVID? I didn't even think about it, but I wanted to ask this at the end. I have paid no attention to COVID. I've gotten my vaccine, but I'm sick as hell right now. Now, I'll play hurt, but should I be worried about COVID? Didn't think about it. Got up this morning after sleeping basically all night. Uh, went with my stepson. We took in his car. We're getting him a Christmas present. We're getting him a car starter on his car, that kind of thing. Still feel bad. He asked me, he goes, oh, you think you got COVID? I didn't really think of it. It didn't cross my mind. So I think we have one of these home tests that I'm going to go look at, and I'll take a look. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Do not know, but I do know this. I'm going to check. I thought I was just having the flu. I forgot that COVID existed. So the question becomes to you guys. If you get sick, do you immediately wonder if there is COVID? Because I got to tell you, I watch TV. And all of a sudden, you know what I see? I see flu ads. I see the flu is back. People are telling the flu is back. Well, do I have COVID? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea, but I wonder. I absolutely wonder. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Iron Man says no. Spice Rack says no. Dan, I thought the guy came from Illinois. He did. He was one year at Illinois and before that at Missouri. I hope he's a great coach, but I got to tell you, if Indiana makes a change of coach, we got a defensive coach. Uh, We got one. I want an offensive coach. Period. I'm just saying. Nope. Worry about the long. You should worry more about the lasting effects of the vaccine. Are we allowed to? Are we allowed to worry about the lasting effects of the vaccine? I got called a clown today by a doctor. Why did I get a cl- called a clown today by a doctor? Because I said lots of vaccinated people dying or in odd circumstances since media pushed and shamed people into vaccinations. I'm guessing we won't hear about this. Guessing anyone even bringing this up will be subject to media BS. But also guessing there is something here. I didn't say there was. I said I'm guessing. Dan, the rise in heart and autoimmune diseases is truly remarkable, but crickets. I had a doctor tell me, hey, 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 you're a clown. Rick in Indy says, thanks for your opinion, Dr. Dockage. Please avoid talking about things you know nothing about. That's why I said guessing. Truly pathetic, this guy says. If you had a little bit of self-control and professionalism, you'd still be at ESPN rather than disgracing yourself with grievance politics and vaccine disinformation. How did I give a vaccine disinformation? I asked a question. But why did I know that in asking the question, there wouldn't be answers. 
there would be criticisms. Why did I know that in asking a question that there would be personal attacks? Why did I know that? I don't know. Because, frankly, frankly, the most lean, or the most, not liberal, the most, what is the right word? Ah, dang it, I've run out of words today. My wife always says that. How come you don't run out of words? The most forgiving, the most inclusive of us are truly the least inclusive of us, and we all knew this. I just asked a question. And if you're not asking that question, you're nuts. Suicide rates among kids are through the roof. We locked them down. You at least got to ask a question. Suicide rates around young adults are skyrocketing. You at least got to ask a question. How much of COVID? How much of locking down? How much of the fact that we don't let people fail anymore is at the core of that? Heart attacks, autoimmune diseases, I read, skyrocketing. We can't even ask a question. Why not? Because it might offend some liberal sensibilities or it might offend the agenda that the media spewed on us, not asking a question about these things is utter and pure evil. It should be mandatory that every American ask questions. You know what else it should be? And I'm not going to get into this today, although I might. It's the first time ever I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay taxes. I've always paid taxes. I think I said this yesterday. I've always paid taxes. I've always paid, like, you know what, I owe, let's go. I pay them twice. I pay my corporation taxes before uh, the first of the year, and then, like everybody else, I pay my personal taxes. But I don't want to pay them this year. I don't want to pay for drag shows. I don't want to pay for Buddha Judge to fly privately. I don't want to pay for Ukraine. Hell, I don't even want to pay the salary of our damn press secretary. I don't want to pay the damn salary of our president. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to. So, you know. In fact, I might, I'm not strong enough to say I'm going to jail and not pay taxes, but I don't want to pay them. And neither should you. Why am I paying for money to go to the Ukraine? Why am I paying for uh, the last two months' salary for some non-binary, whatever the hell he calls himself, to steal luggage and not get fired? Explain that one to me. Explain it to me. I'll be here all day. I'll be on uh, uh, Twitter all day for the most part. If you can explain that to me, then God bless you. Seriously. Hell, are we paying taxes for? I've never thought that way. I've always thought it's just what I'm supposed to do. Now I think that way. We'll see you tomorrow. See you.